from the offices of Melman, Castagnetti, Rosen, and Thomas. Just footsteps from the White House, the heart of the nation's capital. This is 14th NG, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. Here's your host, C.R. Wooters. Welcome to 14th and G, podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. This episode, we welcome Aaron Cooper, who's the VP of Global Policy at BSA. As Aaron will explain, BSA represents global software companies. We hit a lot of hot topics, such as trade, data localization, and privacy. Okay, here we go. Aaron Cooper. Aaron Cooper, welcome to 14th and G. Thank you very much for having me. All right, so let's start with this. Uh, BSA, um, I feel like we're like the alphabet, alphabet soup here in Washington. What's BSA? Uh, just give me the thumbnail of BSA. What do you guys do? What's your uh, piece of the world? Sure. Well, so uh, we're an association of software companies, primarily companies that are providing enterprise software services. So this is everything from cloud computing, data analytics, uh, and increasingly development of new technologies like artificial intelligence. And as an association, one of the things that we do is focus around the world on those issues that are most important to the development of those emerging technologies, making sure that industries um, across sectors are able to use advanced data analytics, cloud computing, and so on. So we have offices in Brussels, we have offices in Singapore, um, in Japan, in India, and Brazil, and other places around the world. And we try to make sure that we are advocating positions that are going to increase privacy, increase security, uh, to build better confidence in the tools that are gonna drive the economy going forward uh, and make sure that we have a cohesive, uh, coordinated view around the world. So we'll start with some around the world stuff, topical stuff. The Dow's down 600 points today because of the China tariff uh, fight that seems to be happening between the president and um, Xi. What's your take on this China stuff? Well, I think it's important that around the world there be rules um, that are interoperable. So one of the things that we focus a lot on, for instance, is making sure that the cybersecurity rules, the cloud computing rules, privacy rules in different locations around the world maybe are not identical because it is appropriate to have different rules in different places, but making sure that they're interoperable. And I think one of the things that we see in the situation between the U.S. and China is um, what we have encouraged the administration to do is to focus on those issues around uh, compelled access to source code, around um, licensing for cloud computing, and try to make sure that China adjusts its rules so that they are consistent with the way the U.S. and Europe and other places around the world that are seeing this boom in the technology sector and as a result, boom in other industry sectors that rely on cloud computing services, data analytics, and make sure that can be successful everywhere. How do you feel about the thornier issues like the data localization stuff and forced data transfer and things like that? I mean, I suspect it gets a little bit blurry. Uh, So data localization issues are probably one of the uh, biggest issues that we deal with around the world. Why is that? Well, because if you're providing cloud computing services, for Mm -hmm. instance, uh, you want to be able to access your data wherever you are. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure 
that if you're um, if you're a financial institution, if you're an auto company, uh, if you're a logistics company, that you're able to see how um, shipments are made overseas. You want to be able to use industrial IoT data in order to in order to improve logistics and manufacturing, and all of that requires the free flow of data around the world. Sure. And data localization rules impede that. And we've seen in a lot of places, USMCA, the um, revised uh, trade agreement between sure. the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, has really strong provisions on data localization, probably the strongest that we've seen anywhere in the world. TPP, the Trans-Pacific sure. Partnership, uh, also has really good provisions on data flows um, and, and prohibiting data localization requirements. And those are s- those kinds of rules of the road are so important to making sure that um, when we deploy artificial intelligence solutions, that they have a representative sample of, of data from, from different places around the world. Uh, if you're doing weather forecasting, sure. to be able to take data from around the world is crucial. Um, and in some places, uh, China is an example, we've started to see pushes towards data localization. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's important that we as an industry, and I think important that governments um, that, that care about in- enabling the economies of the future um, work with those governments that are pushing data localization. Um, Vietnam, Indonesia, sure. Russia and China are, mm-hmm. are good examples of this, uh, to, to, to make sure that we have an open dialogue so that they understand that there's a real cost to the economy where you have data localization rules, that you're not going to get the best cybersecurity protections, that your manufacturing industry, your apparel industry, your auto, your auto industry isn't going to do as well because they're not going to have access to the same services that other countries, that, uh, that companies in other uh, countries are going to have access to. Sure. No, it makes a lot of sense. You mentioned USMCA. Um, that's my next question. Congress is going to, you know, uh, hopefully act sometime soon on, on USMCA. What are, the, what are the big pieces of USMCA that you guys care about? Um, well, you know, when, when NAFTA was first negotiated, digital trade wasn't even really a concept. Um, and one of the things that I think USTR did really well in the USMCA negotiations was to, to look at what they had done in the Trans-Pacific Partnership and what is part of that agreement and improve upon it um, in the negotiations over USMCA. So. For instance, the new agreement has improved provisions on data localization, improved provisions on data flows. It actually has a really forward-looking provision about protecting algorithms so that a country can't compel access to an algorithm as a condition for market access. I think all those improvements are really important. They are important for um, making sure that there's a, a modern top-of-the-line uh, set of international rules on digital trade so that we can start to have um, a clear view about what's important uh, around data localization and data flows as we see some countries moving in what we think is the wrong direction. The USMCA is a good example of something moving in the right direction. It's interesting, even uh, non-related necessarily to our topic now, uh, USMCA also carries with it a um, currency manipulation um, language, which I don't think anyone thinks Mexico or Canada is going to ever manipulate their currency. But in the same way, it's kind of a forward-looking, you know, let's start to set some rules of the road as we get going. And it feels to me like the digital stuff is all the same. The digital trade in in North America is hugely important, but it's also hugely important around the world, right? Yes. And trade agreements can do a number of different things. One of the things they can do is make sure that the trading partner changes its rules. And I think on intellectual property for a number of years, Mm -hmm. that's that's been a key reason for for having trade agreements 
The other th- another thing that it can do is set rules of the road among like-minded nations. And, sure. And I'm hopeful that U.S.-Japan will do a similar thing. Japan is really good on digital trade issues. They're really good on data flows, huh. not having data localization requirements. Uh, and I think in the U.S.-Japan uh, conversation, to be able to start from the USMCA and, and where Japan is on TPP mm-hmm. and continue to improve on uh, those kinds of digital trade provisions can be really important uh, as it sets a standard for the rest of the world world. Yeah, that's interesting. The uh, All right, so standards for the rest of the world. I'm going to make a little bit of a pivot here. This is a beautiful transition to privacy. So we have um, Europe's passed a privacy bill, um, of which is now in effect. California just passed a privacy bill, which will go in effect at the end of the year or beginning of next year, I guess. Um, Washington State's working on one. I feel like virtually everybody mm-hmm. else is working on one. Um, Talk to me about privacy generally, and uh, you know where do you see this going? Yeah, so, I mean, privacy is a key issue for mm-hmm. the software industry, in part because it's a key issue for all of our members' customers, right? Yep. And, and it should be. It's uh, that, and security should be key baseline expectations that uh, customers have. Um, I think that it's really important that. Congress continue to work on creating bipartisan solutions that create mm-hmm. a strong baseline for privacy protection. And customers need to know what their rights are and mm-hmm. companies should know what their obligations are. And we need to continue to raise the bar so that we have the state-of-the-art, top-of-the-line privacy protection, security obligations, um, and that consumers have choice. They should have choice about how their um, data is being used. They should have the right to access that data. They should have the right to tell a company, no, I don't want you to use my data in a certain mm-hmm. way. Um, and, and I think that's something where we're, we're starting to see bipartisan um, agreements Forged, and I think it's an area where Congress, in what is otherwise a difficult partisan environment, to be able to come together and work on something that I think uh, Americans, whether you're in Idaho, California, or Rhode Island, all agree is really important. So I'm going to give you a layup question here, but I want to ask it anyway. Um, the why not just let a thousand flowers bloom? Why not like let every state do their own thing and let you know figure out through that what is the best possible scenario? I mean, I think the car industry kind of got this from California, which was California said we're going to raise our you know limits on carbon getting spewed out of the back of your car and the rest of the country kind of had to pull along what do you think well I think the goal should be to come up with what the best privacy protections are okay Um, but then whether you live in Vermont or Texas or state of Washington, your rights, you should have privacy rights regardless of where, of where you live. Uh, so the, the key should be in thinking about what is, the, what is the right form of protection? What are the right ways to give consumers the best control over their data? Mm-hmm. And then let's make sure that that applies across the country. Yeah, I think that's right. And part of the reason I gave you the layup is because we're sitting here in Washington, and I think, like, you know, I mean, between here and my ride home, I may cross the line of multiple mm-hmm. states, right? What would I – that feels to me like it's a crazy situation. Like, on my iPhone on the way home, people can see this, and, and, <laughs> and then they can't see that in D.C. or in Virginia or and, some other place. And consistency is really important. So yeah. you can imagine a situation where um, one state says that as a, um, as a consumer, I have the right to – access certain certain forms sure. of data and the other state says n- nobody has a right to access that data that's being held by a provider right. and you want to make sure that there aren't those kinds of inconsistencies where whether you're a uh, consumer or you're the company there's no way to comply with both obligations and creating a federal standard is one way of doing that 
make of um, so as we go from privacy to to kind of AI, um, your companies all use tons and tons of data. We've talked about a global stuff. We've talked about data localization. What what about when everything starts learning for itself and we need real time access to data? What's What's the government need to do or not do to get in the way of making that happen? And this is everything from, you know, your lights turning on when you walk into your house to, like, driverless cars, right? I mean, it feels like there's a huge runway of what these things might be, and therefore you probably need a whole, you know, nobody's going to get killed if your lights go off the wrong direct time. But, you know, someone could get run over by a car without a driver. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to make sure that um, the government has laws in place that make sure that we're protecting privacy. But we're making mm-hmm. sure that we are protecting the security of the networks, because as more data is collected, sure. security becomes more and more important. Um, we need to make sure that everybody, whether you're a consumer or you're a business, knows what your rights and obligations are with respect to, to that data. One of the things that uh, the government recently did, Congress recently did, uh, that I think is really positive is uh, pass what's called the Open Government Data Act, which is a way of trying to um, make sure that the government makes available its data in machine-readable format uh, where it's non-sensitive um, so that companies can use that data to help improve the system. Because one of the things that I think we want to avoid as data analytics becomes more sophisticated is a situation where the data sets that are being used to train AI models, data analytic models, uh, aren't sufficiently representative of either uh, the population or of a specific industry sector. And the more data that we have, the better the ability to make sure that the data being used isn't biased in some way. And I think the Open Government Data Act is one good step in that direction. When you say that, I think of two things. One is I think of my old kind of college days with crap data in, crap data out kind of thing, right? So you got to make sure that the data that's going in is good in the first place and representative. The second makes me think, like, I'm totally terrified. Why is everyone sharing every every bit of data? But there's got to be some middle ground there where... You know, um, as a car begins to learn what a road looks like and what the difference between a deer and a person and a stoplight is, where there is a ton of data we can share, the more the better that's not specific. I think the last part has to be there. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong about no, that. No, I, I think that uh, anonymizing data is yeah. one way of trying to make sure that um, personal privacy is protected, and I think an important one. And I think it's also important that consumers have a choice. So if they don't want their data to be used in certain ways, that sure. it's not used in those ways. Um, but there's so much data that is non-personal or mm-hmm. can be anonymized in ways that can, can make sure that we are protecting privacy, but still learning from uh, um, from uh, from traffic patterns, sure. from, from yeah. behaviors like that, um, that help improve the system for everybody. Okay, so what do you make about this um, kind of what I'm calling an assault on tech? So Elizabeth Warren, uh, in her presidential race, has said to break up Facebook. We've had you know people are talking about things like antitrust, and you know it's a big political topics, but tech is not really the bell of the ball anymore. What's your take on that? Yeah, well, when you get past the rhetoric, I think what's important is that companies need to act responsibly, but there also need to be appropriate obligations. And uh, certainly, as a software industry and represent enterprise of software, course, yeah, we we think that there should be regulation. We think that there should be strong privacy protections. We think there should be strong cybersecurity obligations, in part because if not everybody in the system is doing the same thing or at least meeting that same baseline, we're going to have problems. We're going to have problems of consumer confidence, rightfully so. We're going to have problems of data breaches. We're going to have all sorts of problems that um, make it 
harder for consumers to know who to trust and who not to trust. And as a result, I think from from the software industry perspective, we think that having um, a strong baseline is really important. Have something on the federal level that ensures both privacy and security, um, and that we continue to uh, evaluate the laws to make sure that they're uh, up to date and appropriate. Yeah, it's interesting because you're enterprise software, so necessarily you need somebody else to help deliver your stuff too, right? I mean, you know, your software doesn't run on anything. It's running on servers and clouds and all the rest of those things. So is there an obligation for for y'all to to do some self-regulating as well? So I, th- I think it needs to be a combination. Right. I think that there needs to be um, su- sufficient enough government regulation, sure. laws on the books that yep. make sure that everybody acts appropriately. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's also incumbent on companies to act responsibly above that. Mm-hmm. So it needs to be a combination. I think just asking companies to act responsibly isn't enough. Uh, I think strong enforcement authority from the government is really important as our strong baseline requirements and making sure that consumers have rights, the rights that they would expect, the right mm-hmm. to be able to tell a company, no, you cannot process my data that way. And the right to, uh, to know that companies have an obligation for reasonable security measures so that their data is going to be kept secure in a way that's flexible enough that as the attack mechanisms um, continue to evolve, that we also expect companies to continue to improve their systems to be able to meet those uh, those attacks. One of the things that we spent a lot of time on at BSA over last year was putting together uh, what we recently launched, a software security framework as a way of... um, showing companies how to, or or having a guide for companies about what it means to develop and deploy software securely, because increasingly that is going to be a big issue for uh, making sure that data is kept secure, that making sure that um, cyber attacks are, are, are dealt with. It's not enough for any one company to be deploying best practices. We need companies across the industry to deploy best practices, and we need a way to communicate with customers about what those practices look like so that they can make an informed evaluation. Interesting. And I suspect it also affects the, co- the the companies themselves, right? I mean, they have their own intellectual property. They have their own, you know, if they've made their widgets, they do some stuff. And they don't need people stealing that either. Right? Uh, yeah, it's true across the board. So some, so some of the data, for instance, that um, an enterprise software company would be storing or processing yep. is going to be personal information. Sure. Some of it's going to be intellectual property. And in either case, we want to make sure that their controls are such that the company that has the data, um, the the business that has developed it, has has control over it and can make sure that it's kept secure. It's um, um you're saying this in in a very technical way, and I just think of it in my neighborhood, which is that there's a speed limit posted on the ro- on the roadside, and then some angry parents like me when my kids are in the street well, still walk out to cars and say, "Hey, whoa, slow down there, buddy." <laughs> it's it's a little bit of both. It's a little you know uh, neighbors yes. neighbor the neighborhood has to be kept up by the neighbors and there's, a, there's some rules that everyone can point to that, in the first place. That's a good way of saying it. Yeah. You need to have a speed limit. You also need to have drivers realize that there are times when when maybe that speed limit isn't appropriate because there's a car that stops in front of you. Right, exactly. And going 35 is no longer a <laughs> exactly. good idea. Um, and I think we, we need to have companies um, that, that, are, that are in the data space be both responsible and have clear obligations uh, with strong uh, enforcement from the federal government. So um, just a couple more questions. First, you know, um, most of your companies either 
deal in cloud services, deal in the cloud, have their own cloud, deal in cloud services. Where, what's the future of cloud stuff? It sounds to me like most of the companies I work with now have multi-layer multi cloud, clouds or they have clouds that do specific you know, um, jobs. Where do you see that going uh, in the future and then what kind of problems you see? Because that's what, uh, you know, your job is probably to see the problems as they, uh, as they come in. Well, what's amazing is how natural cloud computing has started to become yep. to us. Mm -hmm. uh, just five or six years ago, uh, we'd have to have a long conversation about what the cloud is, that it's yep. not actually a cloud, that it's data centers that are connected mm -hmm. and you know, it enables me to get my BlackBerry email wherever yep. I am in the world, right? Yep. Um, and, and now it's just natural that we we expect in real time to be able to stream videos, sure. to be able to um, approve expense accounts mm -hmm. on our phones wherever we are. And that's because data is being stored in the cloud. Data can be processed super fast in the cloud in a way that wasn't available five, 10, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And all of that is just gonna continue to improve. Um, and it's gonna put a premium on making sure data can be transferred around the world, that there's not, um, uh, there aren't localization requirements or restrictions yep. on, or unwarranted restrictions on the ability to, to transfer data. Um, it's also gonna make cybersecurity protections all the more important. And one of the benefits of cloud computing is that the, the cloud service provider can continue to update the software in real time in the cloud um, rather than it only happening once a week or once a month or sure. once every six months. Uh, and, and I think that's a... The idea you can find faults and fix them right away and not have to wait for it to, yes. to, to go through some kind of process, yes. right? You're always using the most up-to-date version. So are you are your are your folks beginning that the, the word I'm hearing more of these days is the edge? Is that where this is going to move where you have a cloud? My understanding is you have a cloud, servers around the world that are, that are kind of holding data, and the pertinent data is going to sit inside of the tank or the car or the train uh, and and operate there so there's no latency at all. Is that where it's going next or is that just a part of the same thing that's already happened? Uh, I think there'll be different models depending on the service that you're looking okay, for. Sure. So where um, latency is the big issue but processing power is not, okay. then you'll probably want to do it more at the edge. Mm -hmm. Where processing power is really important, um, for instance, the, the, the most state-of-the-art AI systems are going to rely on on, on really powerful processing that's going to happen in the cloud. Uh, and, this and quantum that, stuff and things like that. And, and that, that, that ability, uh, the, the most powerful processing is always going to happen most likely going to happen in the cloud. Right. And uh, it's just because you have physically bigger the areas bigger to have more servers that can be smarter and faster and all those things? Yes, and you're only going to have uh, the, the most powerful um, processing chips are going to be okay. at, you know, in, um, with, at certain locations um, for, uh, for, for cloud service providers. And so um, you're going to, I think companies are going to continue to rely on cloud, on that, on cloud services, not just for storage, but also for that type of processing. I think some services will push out to the edge in different yep. ways, um, but you're, the, the, the most sophisticated AI is probably still going to be coming from um, cloud servers. Interesting. Um, all right, so last question here. What's the trend you see coming down the road that nobody else is talking about? Um, what's the, give me something cool. Well, I think um, one thing that it has started to be talked about a lot more is quantum computing. Sure. And I think that's right on. I think that's going to be, mm -hmm. it's going to have a huge disruptive effect. Um, and we're holding a lot of promise, but it's that it still needs to be worked out, and, mm -hmm. and I think it's still in development, but it's but it's definitely coming. Um, I think the other is on cybersecurity. So we do talk a lot about cybersecurity. 
but I think you see the most action on on privacy legislation sure. and laws around the world. Mm-hmm. And increasingly, I think that's going to turn to security because as we're storing more and more in the cloud, and as um, they, they, they become more of a um, a target for bad actors, uh, making sure that software is developed in a secure way and plans for the for the full life cycle of the product or service, I think is going to be increasingly important. And I think we'll start seeing more action on and that. And you think the companies will build that in right from the beginning? I think it's crucial they be, they build it in from the yeah. beginning and that they plan for what's going to happen next. So right. it's not okay. It won't be okay anymore to put out a device with software in it that might be okay for a month, but it can't be updated sure. when a new attack uh, vector comes in. It's going to need to be capable of being updated, and building in the ability to, to continually improve it is going to be crucial, and knowing how long you expect it to, what its life cycle expectation is going to be is, is really important. And I think we'll see more action on those issues in the years to come. Interesting. All right, Aaron Cooper. Thanks for coming into 14th and G. Thanks very much for having me. I want to thank Aaron for joining us at 14th and G. And if you're looking for me, my email address, as always, is wooters at mc-dc.com. And until next time, we'll be right here at 14th and G.